Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, good morning, Inspire family. Uh, I know we had a lot of announcements this morning, so thank you for bearing with us. But one last thing that I maybe want to inspire you to consider, uh, tomorrow we start a 31-day journey. Uh, You don't have to start tomorrow, uh, but you can consider it and join in at any time. But as a church family, we are going to be walking in rhythms of life together. So for 31 days, we are going to be reading a psalm a day. Uh, We are going to be committing to praying and we are going to be committed to reading. We're going to be committed to fasting. So for the month of October, every Wednesday, we're going to call Inspire Church to a fast, uh, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We also will provide for you every Wednesday. um, um, We're going to have a special Zoom room opened up at 6 a.m., whether it's while you're at work or before you go to work. You can hop in. You can say a prayer to prepare your day, um, and we will be um, leading you through that every Wednesday as well. What you can do is you can click, you can point your phone here to the QR code and you can sign up and then you'll get an email breaking down all the different rhythms that we will be doing together for the next 31 days. And at that point, you can consider maybe doing one or two, or you can try and do them all. Uh, This is not legalistic. Right? You're not going to hell if you can't do a rhythm, okay? But this is just an opportunity for you to live in rhythms of life together with the church. We'll have the QR code up here at the end of service. We'll also have it for you at the Resource Center. And um, you can definitely receive the email and just kind of get a little more understanding of what it is that we're going to be doing for the next 31 days. Amen? Amen. For the next nine months, and we, we've established this a few weeks ago, we are really entering into a, a theme for the year that really is tell the story, but know the story so that you can tell the story. And I've been repeating this uh, quote for the last couple of weeks, but Australian sociologist said the church in the West is in trouble because it has forgotten its story. And so we have decided to tell the story and know the story, learn the story, teach the story. And and we know that the story starts in the beginning. And so we've entitled this sermon series Origins as we've been walking through the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. We're starting at the beginning. And we started this series three weeks ago, and I kind of want to paint you a picture of where we've been, and then we'll launch into where we are going. If you recall, in week one, we talked about God, the creator, the maker, God, the transcendent creator who stands outside of time, space, and matter, God who is separate, God who is holy, who had created it all. And then in week two, Pastor Roger spoke about creation. Creation, everything that has been made is the arena of God's glory. Creation is the evidence of God's existence. It's his signature. And last week, uh, we talked about us, humanity, mankind, and, and what does it mean to be a human? And of course, we answered that question, to be human is to be made in the image of God. And if you are made in the image of God, then you are worthy of significance. You are worthy of dignity, and you have purpose. This morning, we're going to move from mankind and discuss the significance of the seventh day in creation. If you're familiar with the creation story, God creates in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. And we call that the Sabbath day. So today, we are going to discuss the Sabbath day, and I'm going to teach. So if you like to take notes, this might be a good space for you. I'm going to try to sneak a preach in there a little bit. But I definitely want to make sure that we observe the beauty and the significance of the seventh day. Now, let me tell you something about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is considered 
one of three creation ordinances, right? Uh, The Sabbath is one of three guidelines or principles that God gives to man to teach man what it looks like to live in the image of God. And so if you go through the book of Genesis on day six, God creates man and and places his image in man. And then God begins to teach man how to live in his image. And so the Sabbath is one of three creation ordinances. And I'll give you the other two because for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about those as well. And so there is rest, there is work, and there is relationship. And so Sabbath rest then there is work, and then there is relationships. Specifically, we'll talk about marriage and procreation, and that'll kind of formulate the three creation ordinances, and we'll follow those for the next three weeks if you choose to hang with us. So what is the Sabbath? What is the significance of the seventh day of creation? Well, Genesis 1 and 2, or Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, and Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 are kind of like the bookends of creation. And so the bookends of creation kind of are the end result of the beginning and the end result of the story. And so what the Sabbath teaches us is that it invites us to pause to reflect and enjoy all that God did in between those spaces to create the universe. And so in Genesis 1-2, it says this. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Then in Genesis 2-1, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And so what we see is the beginning, there's nothing. And at the end, everything that has been made has been finished and what the sabbath teaches us is to stop to pause to reflect and delight in all that god did in those six days it's an invitation to taste and see and experience the beauty and wonder and glory of god through everything that he has made it's an invitation to pause and delight in God's good creation. And that invitation is memorialized on the seventh day. It's a call to remember that what was once dark, empty, and void is now bright, filled, and full of life. That's the significance of the seventh day. And it's also a reminder to you and I that if we don't stop and pause and reflect then we are going to forget what God has done. We are going to forget how God had taken what was dark, what was empty, what was chaotic, and how he has turned it into something new, something bright, and something full of life. And so the Sabbath day is an invitation to remember what God has done. And so with that being said, we're going to pray. And then we're going to dive into the text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would have your way. Thank you for your good gift of Sabbath. Let us not forget that you are a good gift giver. And let us not take the gift and forget to say thank you. So I pray that all of us in this room, no matter where we come from, no matter age, ethnicity, Lord, I pray that you would speak to everyone in this room, that you would have your way. Do what I can't do. Holy Spirit, illuminate the text so that all of us can walk out of here saying that we received something from church this morning. Lord, we pray, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is our text this morning. And if you've been with us for the last three weeks, we've actually finished off chapter one, and now we are moving into chapter two. And so we're going to really settle in on the first three verses this morning. And so let me read the text to you. We'll have it for you here on the screen. Genesis 2, one through three reads like this. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. If you're taking notes, here's where we're going. We are going to talk about the three verbs that stand out in this portion of the text. We're going to talk about God rests on the seventh day. God blessed the seventh day. And then God makes the seventh day holy or he sanctifies the seventh day. So to put it kind of into one word, we're going to talk about rest, blessed, and holy. So in chapter two, verses one and two, we're told that God rests on the seventh day. The Hebrew word for rest is Shabbat, which means, uh, which is where we get the word Sabbath. It's where the word Sabbath originates from. Now, to say that God rests is confusing. I mean, think about it. If he is God, and if he is everything that we believe the Bible has revealed him to be, then God does not need to rest. God is omnipotent. God doesn't need a break. God doesn't need a nap. He has no need to recharge or replenish his energy because God is never depleted. He's not a finite creature. He is the infinite creator. So what is God actually doing on the seventh day? Well, the answer is actually in verse one. God rests from his creative work because he's finished. He's done. Like every great artist, he knows when to stop. Like a completed song or a work of art, there are no more lyrics to write, no more colors to add. The piece is finished and the artist is satisfied. This is the essence of Sabbath and the significance of the seventh day. God stops making because he is satisfied with all that he has made. Now there's some interesting thoughts that flow from this. Number one, by way of a side note, some theologians are careful not to use the word perfect when talking about creation. Now here's why, because in our Western minds, perfect is kind of static. Like when something is perfect, it's like, let it be, right? No movements, no change, no activity. But a better description of God's creative work actually comes from God himself. When he looks at creation and he says what? It is very good. Because God created into the fabric of creation, not a static stop, but a continuation of life. God hides in creation incredible untapped potential like Easter eggs for mankind to find. We are constantly growing, constantly creating. We are taking the raw materials and planting seeds and they're becoming crops. And so creation is not static. And so some theologians stay away from perfect and use the word that God used in his satisfaction, declaring everything was very very good. Now there's two, pra there's, there's two implications, one practical and one theological that I want to share with you from this truth. The first is practical. Creation was meant to be enjoyed. When you go on a hike, you're enjoying creation. Like when, you, when you go to the mountains and you snowboard, you are enjoying God's creation. When you go fishing, you're enjoying his creation. When you go camping, you're enjoying his creation. When you step outside your house to go to the park and you look at the birds and you look at the wind, you look at the sky or, or you get a telescope and you look at the night sky, you are enjoying creation. Like that in itself is a very act of worship. The problem with man is we look at creation and we worship it. 
But what God has intended us to do, creation is a pointing or a sign that you would look at creation, it would point you to something greater and bigger, that there's someone who made this. And so creation is actually a tool of worship. And a lot of folks falsely believe that science and Christianity are competing with one another. No, science is a tool to glorify God because it reveals the vastness of the universe, which indicates the beautiful design of a designer. Now, some rabbis speculate that on the seventh day, God doesn't just rest, but he invents a kind of rest called menuha. This is not just stopping, but delighting. A restfulness that produces celebration and joy. It reminds me of all the times I've built Super Mario Lego sets for my son. Now, I have to tell you, they don't make dads like they used to. Some of the most difficult days are the days after Christmas where you have to, have, you have to put the things together. Nowadays, it's a little bit easier. But back in the day, the instructions and the intricate pieces and parts was just crazy. But nonetheless, this reminds me of, of building this Lego set for my son. You see, when the last block is connected and the castle is built... Then came the time for my son to delight in it and to play with what my father has made. And here's the really cool thing. Not only did my son enjoy playing with what I had made, but I delighted in watching him play. And so the significance of the seventh day is not just a day when God delights, but it is also a day which he extends that delight toward us. He invites us to delight. And for some of us, he commands us to delight. <laughs> Amen. Any workaholics in the room? You actually need to be commanded to stop. But there's not a, just a practical implication. There's a theological implication. And I'm going to break this down. It's kind of heady, but I believe that you can understand it. Now, now he, here's what I need you to know. To say that God rested or that God ceased from his creative work does not mean that he rested or ceased from his sustaining work. This is really important. You see, the story of our God is not a story of a distant deity or a careless creator. We don't serve a God who said it and forget it. Anybody a little bit older? Y'all remember that infomercial? Man, this is, this is a tough crowd. Marv, you got it? That's all we need. So there's this infomercial, a rotisserie chicken, and they literally used to start it all the time, like passing a mic right in the crowd and like, said it and forget it. Right? Anyway. We don't serve a set it and forget it God. Are you with me? Though his creative work stopped, his work of providence continues. The author of Hebrews tells us he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus said in John 5, my father is always at work to this very day and I am working too. Even our very own Becca Pettybridge loves to sing. He never stops working. He never stops working. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, he doesn't stop working. Now, this theological truth that God ceases from creating work, but doesn't cease from sustaining work, contradicts uh, the philosophical theology of deism. It's actually philosophical rationalism of deism. Now, some of you may be familiar with deism. Some of you might not, but a lot of our founding fathers were deists. People like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, they hold this view that God, that there is this creator who created all things and its intricacies and then said it and forget it. That he kind of walked away and no longer is a part of what he has made. But our story is a story about a God who shows care and concern, about a God who upholds, maintains, and sustains. Our story is about a God who is actively involved in his creation. Our story is about a God who made it good, then man turned it bad, and he stepped back in to remake good what man had made bad. We do not serve a distant deity or a careless creator. Wow. And a lot of deists or folks who ascribe to this philosophy 
usually are naturalists. They just believe that the earth and the universe, what God gave it, the designer kind of get like a clock, created it with all of its intricacies and its natural laws and just set it and now it moves on its own. But our story is about a God who shows care and concern. A God who upholds, who sustains, who maintains. And so God rests on the seventh day. But verse 3 tells us that God blessed the seventh day. Now, in the story of creation, specifically in chapter 1, we see God blessing three things. Number one, we see him blessing living creatures. So if you look at verse 122, it says, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. So the animal kingdom is blessed with the ability to multiply. We also see God blessing human beings in Genesis 128. It says, and God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply. And now here in chapter two, we see God blessing the seventh day. It says, so God blessed the seventh day. Now, we can learn something about the way that God blesses in chapter one so we can derive what God meant when he blessed the seventh day in chapter two. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Notice that the blessing is in coordination with the multiplication of life. Do you see that? And so God blesses he blesses the animal kingdom. He blesses humanity with the ability to reproduce. And so the blessing is in coordination with the multiplication of life. So to be blessed in the creation story is to be given the ability to increase or to multiply. And so here's the key. In blessing the seventh day, God infuses the Sabbath with life-giving power. In blessing the seventh day, God infuses the day of rest with a day of producing spiritual vitality. So that if you're not ceasing, if you're not resting, and if you're not stopping, then you're dying. Now here's something really critical to remember. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, we have often reminded folks to whom Genesis was written to. You ever thought about that? I mean, yes, we're reading it, but it was specifically through the Holy Spirit, penned by Moses on Mount Sinai to the children of Israel. And so the recipients of Genesis actually would have been the children of Israel. Now you might be asking, well, why is that so important? Remember that the children of Israel had just escaped 400 years of slavery. They knew nothing else but hard labor. Seven days a week, sun up to sundown, they made bricks and they laid bricks over and over and over again. And so to a dehumanized people who had been conditioned to believe that they were only as valuable as their ability to work, to a people whose identity was 400 years of generational slavery, God blesses them with rest. God reminds them that they are not what they do. God assures them that their value and their worth is not measured in how many bricks they can lay, but their value and worth is derived from being made in the image of their creator. You know, today, societies all across the world, East, West, Muslim, Hindu, Christian, you know, they all run off of this seventh day weak rhythm. And in fact, and this was something that John Mark Comer was sharing, in the last serious attempt to change that seven day rhythm came in 1793 after the French Revolution. France went from a seven-day week to a 10-day week. And they did this in order to increase productivity. But in fact, the opposite occurred. France began to experience a record number of suicides, an exponential increase in mental health depletion. And instead of increasing productivity, productivity plummeted. 
And it's at this point, I just want to take some time to pastor you for a moment. And if I'm not normally your pastor, I just thank you for even giving me this opportunity. But I think the Bay Area is more like Egypt than it is like creation story. I feel like the narrative of those of us who live in the Bay, our story is more of a story of slavery than it is a story of freedom. We are consumed by productivity. We can't stop working. We can't stop producing. We can't turn off our phones. We can't stop replying to emails. We work from the office and from the bedroom, which ironically is supposed to be the place where you're resting. And if you didn't listen to anything I'd say today, hear this part out. And what's killing us is not the fact that we work. What's killing us is why we work. The motivation for your productivity is a slave driver. Like Pharaoh, increasing the workload over the Israelite slaves. The motivation for why you work is killing you. Our slave master is our need to impress. Our slave master is our need to feel comfortable and secure. We overproduce to accumulate wealth. We overproduce to afford a home. We perform to impress our boss because if we don't get a promotion or if we don't have an esteemed title, we'll somehow believe that we're not worthy, we're not good enough, that our life has no meaning, no value, or we won't be able to impress our in-laws or our outlaws, whatever you call them. <laughs> we keep up with the next door neighbors. They buy, we buy. They remodel, we remodel. This is why you're tired. This is why you're burnt out. This is why you're frustrated, drained, spiritually depleted. What's killing you is your own selfish ambition and pursuit. In a way, when God invites a workaholic to rest, he's inviting them to lay down their slavery and to live in his freedom. And this is the discipleship challenge that we have inspired church in a region like the Bay Area that is living like they're in Egypt. God is calling you to live according to another story. In a region demanding us to build and lay more bricks, God is inviting us in the blessing of Sabbath delight. The question is, do you trust him? That's always the question. Do you trust that what he says is good and for your good? Or do you believe you know better? That's really the story of scripture. You know, people want to talk about sin and, you know, we want to talk about sins and all these rules. You know what sin boils down to is do I trust God? That's all it is. Sin is simply you not trusting God and thinking that you know better. That's the story of creation. And so we see that God rests on the seventh day. We see that God blessed the seventh day. And finally, number three, we see that God made the seventh day holy. He sanctifies the seventh day. Now, you know what's really interesting? This is the first time that the word holy ever appears in the Bible. Now, readers might expect God to make a holy mountain, right? And that's what gods do, right? They make holy mountains, they make holy shrines, they make holy temples, they make holy cities. Like a reader might expect that God would make a holy city, a holy temple, a holy shrine. Yet we see God making a holy day. That's where we get the word holiday from. What does that mean? Well, that's cool, but what does that mean? Well, let me, let me try to explain. God 
cannot be contained. You know, he's not limited to space. Right? In many ways, the entire universe is his dwelling place. In fact, last year during our Christmas series, we talked about the tabernacle and how, how the Israelites built the tabernacle and how the tabernacle is just a replica of the Garden of Eden. And that the reality is, is that the entire earth is God's temple. Yeah. Yeah. He is everywhere. Yeah. This means if God is everywhere, this means that we can encounter God anywhere. I might say some things that might push some of your buttons, so you're always welcome to come and have a chat with me. If God is everywhere, then we don't have to take pilgrimages across the world to meet him. We don't have to enter specific temples blessed by specific holy men. We don't even have to go to church. Some of us, there's different crowds in here, right? Some folks are like, how dare you? Some folks are like, yeah, <laughs> see? <laughs> Told you, didn't have to come this morning. <laughs> so what in the world am I talking about? What the Sabbath helps memorialize, what it, what it helps remind us is that God is everywhere and that because the whole earth is filled with his glory, and that because he cannot be contained to a single location or a space, all we have to do to experience the presence of God is sanctify time. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart. To sanctify time is to set apart time. To pause, to reflect to delight, to praise, to experience the beauty and glory and majesty of our creator. I wanna invite the team to get ready to come up as we turn towards a close. Hear me out, as followers of Jesus, if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, as followers of Jesus who desire to be in the presence of their creator, delighting in his love, we regularly sanctify time by creating rhythms of stopping, reflecting, worshiping, praising, and delighting in God. Throughout the ages, this is why Sunday was so significant to the church. Sunday is a rhythm in which you are invited to stop. You are invited to gather and you are invited to worship and praise and acknowledge and glorify the beauty and glory of God. It's a rhythm. Some of you are like, he's going to get really legalistic about this. No, it is a rhythm. It is a time that has been set apart and sanctified to acknowledge God's glory. And you know, the rhythms of the West, even though we're a secular country, nonetheless, we have a seven-day week and we have a five-day work week. And the rhythm of the West was supposed to be five days of work. And then Saturday, enjoy creation and Sunday, worship creator. But the slavery of the West, the capitalistic mentality of the West, and don't get me wrong, I'm not here to, to say one thing or another. I'm just saying all systems have sin in them. The slave driving mentality has caused us to lose the rhythm and the sanctity of time to stop, delight, and acknowledge the goodness of God yeah. with the community of God. This isn't just something that the early church practiced, but this is something that the Israelites practiced. In fact, they had rhythms too. They carefully observed from this text Sabbath rhythms that ultimately would have been codified in the Mosaic law. What were the rhythms of Israel? Every seven days, Israel would stop working 
and enter into a day of rest every seven days. And on the sixth day, they would actually cook and clean and do everything that they needed to do so that on the seventh day, they can enjoy, delight, and gather together and celebrate. And some households would light a candle throughout the day as a reminder, God is here. Every seven days, Israel would stop working and enter into a day of rest. And every seven years, Israel would forgive debts and allow the land to rest. And so you know what they would do? They would over farm on the sixth year and not touch the land on the seventh year. Even creation would, be a, would, would, would get a chance to breathe. Remember the Sabbath gives life? But that wasn't it. Every 49 years, seven times seven. You all see the rhythm? Every seven days, every seven years, and every seven times seven, 49 years, Israel would enter into the ultimate rest called the year of Jubilee. In this year of Jubilee, if anyone had lost their lands, their lands would be given back. In this year of Jubilee, long-standing debts would be wiped and forgiven. In this year of Jubilee, Slaves will be liberated and everything that had been lost would be restored. You see, the Sabbath is also a sign. This is my favorite part. All week I was just kind of, I was letting this thing minister to me. I laid hands on myself. I was just blessing myself this whole week. So I just want you to know, like, if it's not for you, it's for me. The Sabbath is also a sign It's a symbol. It's a foretaste of something better. You see, the creation story, man was the climax of God's creative work, but Sabbath is the climax of of the creation week. The Sabbath is the omega point of the creation week. The Sabbath is the eschaton of the creation week. The Sabbath is so much more than the week end, but it is the ultimate destiny of man. What do I mean by that? It's the Sabbath that answers the age old question that has puzzled humanity throughout history. Where am I going? When all this is over and I die, we all have our theologies in this room. But the Christian story tells us that we have a destiny beyond this space. And it's the Sabbath story that informs us what is going to happen once I die. The Sabbath is a sign, it's a taste, it's a peak. Let me try to break this down and we're almost finished. You guys are doing great. If you read the creation story, every day, there is the same refrain that ends the day. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day, but on the seventh day, that refrain no longer is there. Why? This blessed day was meant to never end. It was meant to never end. There was no evening and no morning the eighth day because humanity was created to live in a perpetual spring. The seventh day, the day we rest from our toil and labor the day of joy and celebration, the day of delight and play, of feasting and celebrating was meant to go on forever. But something happens. Something interrupts the intention of creation. And as a result, instead of sons and daughters, we begin to live as slaves. And instead of ruling over things, things rule over us. 
Instead of having dominion over things, things have dominion over us and we run the rat race of life. Trying to accumulate stuff, trying to perform, trying to impress. And like slave drivers, our motivations whip us into submission and we're depleted. And if you don't believe in a God, then this is all you have. This is your heaven. So I understand why you work hard. This is it. But if you believe in the story of scripture, you know that this isn't it. There's something better. There's something greater. There's something beautiful. There's, there's an angst in all of us that will one day be, that tension will be released and we'll live in paradise forever in a perpetual Sabbath. That's the beautiful story. Rabbi Joshua Herschel, he called keeping the Sabbath practicing eternity in time. What does it mean to practice eternity in time? It means that every time we sanctify time, every time we gather and acknowledge the creator, every time we delight and take joy in what God has done, we are prophesying to a world that is tired that there's something better. When you woke up this morning and you decided to sanctify this day, you decided to sit under the word and listen to the lyrics that are lifting up the king, you're entering into that space and you're declaring to the Bay Area that is tired, that there's hope and that there's rest and that there's joy and there's peace unending. This is our story. This is our story. And so I just want to take a moment to respond to this beautiful idea of practicing eternity in time. And so will you take time just to reflect and then I'll come back and we'll pray.
be wondering where's where is Jesus fit into this story well here's what we know 
the first Adam forfeited by not trusting God. And this perpetual rest was lost. But the last Adam, Jesus, did what the first Adam couldn't do. And so what we see is that what man lost, God in Christ stepped down to recover. And here's the really beautiful kind of juxtaposition of it all. You see Adam, the first Adam, disobeys in a garden. And that disobedience leads to cursings. And one of the curses is that man would toil, that man would work from the sweat of his brow, that, the, that the, the earth would grow thorn and thistle and that work would be a struggle. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, where the first Adam failed, the last Adam would succeed. And the last Adam we see in a garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And he's being obedient to the Father. He's saying yes. He's trusting the Father. Father is calling him to be crucified on the cross. And, and, and we see the last Adam sweating, but he's sweating blood. Wow. And, and, and what this picture is showing is what the first Adam forfeited. And now he has to work and toil. The last Adam recovers. Yeah. And he's done the work. <laughs> And you don't longer have to work, but he gives it to you as a free gift. This rest can be yours for free. So the question is, how? How can I access this rest? How can I practice eternity and time? It's real simple. Put your faith in the work of Jesus. Belief. All you have to do is believe this story is true. You have to obey a bunch of rules and do whatever. All these things that you think Christianity is, actually, it's just an invitation to trust the story, to trust what Christ has done on your behalf on the cross. What man failed to do, Jesus did. And here's what's happening. I promise we're done. When you put your faith in Jesus, the new creation is being formed. And we are slowly being renewed and moving back to that space where we'll go back to the perpetual Sabbath, which is our destiny. So Heavenly Father, I just pray for everyone in this room. I pray for all of us. Lord, we all turn and walk away. We all trust our own stories, trust our own ambitions. We put our trust and fail all the time in other things, but we turn and repent and we say, God, we are sinners but we trust in Jesus because he was perfect. And what he accomplished, I couldn't. So I put my faith, my hope, my trust and belief in his story. And that faith and that trust would bring us into rest and that our ultimate destiny for those who trust you will be with you forever and a perpetual Sabbath, a spring that never ends. Lord, help us to be a church that ministers that story to a region in the Bay Area that is dying. Help us to be a light. And so Lord, I pray a blessing on all those here as they leave this place. May they not leave your presence. Go with them. We love you. We honor you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Inspire Church, we love you. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday and we'll see you next week. God bless.